0: Put your finger there and then turn to James chapter 1. We'll get to both of those in here in just a little bit. But while you're turning, let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Uh, Thank you for meeting with us, for allowing us an opportunity to to sing of your praise and your worth and what you mean to us in our lives. God, thank you for an opportunity to witness in baptism the story of your redemption, the story of you saving those of us that have been lost. Reaching the unreached and continuing to change us. God, thank you for that. Thank you for an opportunity to get into your word. And we pray that you would speak into our lives, Spirit, do your work. We want to hear from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are wrapping up this sermon series that we've called Church Shopping, that is all about the church and how it is that God defines a healthy church. And there's a couple reasons why we are doing a series like this. First, For those of us that call River Ridge home, we wanted to take some time to look at some of the basic purposes, some of the basic callings that God has for every church, for every gathering of believers. He has a set standard that he wants us to attain towards. So we're using this time to open up the Bible, to see what the church is meant to be about, and then evaluate ourselves, see how we're doing, because we want to be more faithful. We want to get better at being faithful to what God has called us as one of His churches to be, but not just organizationally, not just corporately, but also individually and personally. I I know for me that this series has been as much about my own personal spiritual health as it has been about looking at what it means for a church to be healthy. And then secondly, we know that people don't stay at church forever. Life happens. Things change. In fact, you may be here this morning looking for a church. Maybe you just moved into the area. You got transferred in. Or maybe on, the, your, on your horizon is that you know that you will be getting transferred at some point in the next little bit. And in your mind already, you're anticipating having to find another church. And it kind of creates some anxiety for you. Um, and another group of people, a particular group of kids in particular that come to mind, as I think about looking for a church, are high school seniors. If you're a high school senior in here, then you know in a matter of a couple of months you're going to graduate, and if you head off to college in the fall, you're going to have this newfound freedom, and you're going to be faced with answering two crucial questions. The the first one is, am I even going to go to church? You're going to wake up on a Sunday morning, and your mom and dad aren't going to be there to force you or to guilt you into going, and you're going to have to answer that question. Am I actually going to go to church on my own? Is this important to me? Do I have a faith of my own or has it just been my parents' faith that I've been grappling, grappling with? And if you've answered that question, then you'll also have the second question to answer. Where do I go? How do I find a church that will allow me to continue to grow? So regardless of why it is that you might find yourself looking for a church, we want to give you a grid. We want to give you some criteria that comes right out of the Bible so that you can find a healthy church, and so far we, we've looked at three criteria, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but these are three really important areas to look for when you're looking for a church. You need to find a church that will challenge you. You need to have a, the church needs to have a mission that will challenge you. Uh, God has given us as His people an opportunity to partner with Him on His mission to reach the unreached, to connect the disconnected. So we need a church that will remind us of that, that will calls us to pray bold prayers, to invest in relationships with people that don't yet know who Christ is so that we can influence them, so we can point them to who Jesus is. We also need a a church that, that has worship that reminds me of who God is. We need to have a church that will consistently point our hearts and point our affections toward the God who created us and who saved us. And then last week, Andy talked about the importance of having a church that has a discipleship that will grow us. He unpacked for us the importance of having a community of believers around us that can challenge us, that can encourage us, so that we can look more and more like Jesus as the years go by. And then lastly today, we're going to talk about that a healthy church is one that has teaching that changes me. The church that you belong to should place a healthy emphasis on biblical teaching. In, in, or, and in order for our lives to actually be changed by teaching, there are two things that need to be true. And if you're taking notes, here's the bottom line for this morning Teaching that changes me is both biblically accurate and then practically applied. So, in our time this morning, I, I want to unpack those two criteria what it means and why it is important that we have teaching that's biblically accurate and then why and how we go about practically applying what we hear into our lives. Because if both of these things are true, then our lives will be changed. And I think that is the reason why we are gathered here this morning. That's a goal that we all have. I know that in my life there are, are some things that I know have to be changed, that I hope will be changed in my life. It, and I, as I've talked to people, I've never met a person who intentionally decided to drift off course. No one makes the the intentional or the conscious that says, you know what, I'm going to make a train wreck of my life. Nobody does that. Nobody goes in and says, you know, I'm going to tank my marriage. I'm going to get addicted to pornography. I'm going to have my heart just filled with rage and bitterness and anxiety. Nobody has those kinds of decisions, and those end up happening in our lives little by little. It's a slow fade. It's baby steps in the wrong direction, but I think all of us in this room have some things, if we're honest, and we look at our lives, that would best be described as broken. I've done what I thought was best. I I did what made me feel good. I did what everybody else was doing, and it led me to where I am right now, and something's got to change. That's why our lives need a true north, we need to have something in our lives, a standard that stands above our culture, a standard that, that stands above our emotions or our feelings. That's why we need someone to open up Scripture and to accurately teach it to us. Paul in 2 Timothy describes the Bible this way. I love how the New Living Translation captures it. I'm going to read from there. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God. And it is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip His people to do every good work. Paul says that scripture is inspired. Literally, it means God breathed, meaning that what we read originated in the mind of God and was communicated by God's breath, by His Spirit. What we learn is that God is a God who wants to and longs to communicate to His people. That's why we call it the Word of God. And He has given us a whole book of things that He wants us to know, things He wants us to know about Him, about our own lives and the plans that He has for us. And Paul tells us that it's useful, that it's useful for telling us what is true and keeping us on track and then correcting us when we drift off course. But the purpose of the Bible is more than just showing us a, a list of do's and don'ts. God wants to change us. He wants to transform us so that we are prepared, so that we are equipped to do all the good works that he has in store for us. We believe that the, the Bible is the authority over our lives. Outside of Scripture, we have nothing helpful to share with you here on a Sunday morning. And we believe that that if we will put ourselves under the authority of God's Word, that God will show us a better way to live. He'll show us a better way to love, a better way to forgive, a better way to heal. And that He will show us what true life looks like. So one one of the responsibilities of a pastor or a teacher is to devote some study, to pour over what Scripture says is true, and then to accurately teach that on a Sunday morning, as best and as accurately as we can. But that's only half of what leads to life change. The other part falls on us. It relies on us as individuals to actually apply what is taught. And to unpack this side of it, I want us to spend some time this morning in James chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, turned there, and we'll pick up in verse 22. James says, Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves do what it says. He starts out with this very stern warning for what he calls a mere listener to watch out so that they, that, that they don't get deceived. And it's interesting to me that he's saying that it's actually possible to hear the Word of God. It's actually possible to sit under the teaching of the Bible and still to end up deceived what does he mean by that? How does that happen? Because I I mean, I think that that we all have some examples in our mind. Maybe we either know people or have heard stories of people that show up week after week. They're faithful in in coming to church. And and yet you hear this story about how they were living a double life outside of their marriage. And and you have a hard time struggling with that. How'd that happen? How does that happen? Or, Or you have a person who knows the Bible front to back, that that can quote whole passages of Scripture, but they can't resolve conflict in their family. They refuse to forgive somebody. They they cheat on their taxes. They're awful to work for in the business place. And this verse explains the disconnect that we often observe because they they were merely listeners, and they never applied it, and they were deceived. The, The deception is that they thought that they were spiritually mature just because they heard the Bible taught. And I think American Christians in particular are guilty of gauging our spiritual maturity based on our consistency in coming to church, that, that, there's, that we somehow get credit for just showing up. But spiritual maturity is not about hearing. It's not about understanding. I think that the simplest definition of spiritual maturity is someone that is a doer of the Word. Maturity is actually finding a way to live out what the Spirit says is true, that's what will grow your faith and change your life. It's not hearing, it's not just studying, it's not understanding. It's application that makes all the difference. Well, James goes on verse 23. He says, anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks at. James paints for us this ridiculous picture. It's like imagine yourself getting up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you, you haven't shaved for two days. you got this terrible case of bedhead. You, you're wearing clothes that are all wrinkled up and don't even match. You take a real hard look at the mirror. You promptly forget, don't change anything, and head out the door and go to work. I mean, we would never do that physically, right? After about the age of 11, you, we do the same thing. We look in the mirror and we fix the things that actually need to be fixed. And what James is saying and reminding us is that mirrors are powerful things. They can't help but to tell us the truth. Mirrors don't lie. If you look in a mirror, you're seeing truth. You may not like to hear it, but you are seeing truth. I know for me, I I look in the mirror these days and there's a whole lot more wrinkles here around the eyes. And I remind my kids, none of those were there before they came around. I blame all of them on them. But James is reminding us that that the Bible is the ultimate mirror. It will show us truth. The truth about who God is and what His character is like. And the truth about us and what our character is really like. And then we come to verse 25. This is the key verse in this passage, and it shows for us what we have to put in place for Scripture to actually change us. Verse 25 says, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom... And continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Paul gives us a list there of four action words or action phrases that I want us to dive into a little bit and have a better understanding of it. He starts off by talking about the man who looks intently into the law that that gives freedom. And that that, that phrase there, looks intently, it implies somebody stooping down. And taking a, a careful look into a mirror. It's something, somebody that takes a careful, deliberate look. It's not this quick glance and moving on. So what that means for us is that as we hear Scripture taught, or as we read it for ourselves, we remember, like we just read in 2 Timothy, that the author of the Scripture that we read is God's Spirit. So we go to the author and say, Spirit, what do you want to show me? What do you want to teach me about myself? Because I want this to be a mirror. I, I want to see truth. It's having the courage like we read in Psalm 139 where David goes before God and he says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and then lead me in a way everlasting. It's having the humility to recognize that I have it within me to be anxious, to be vengeful, to be vindictive, to be bitter, and not even know it. There, there is a danger, and it's real easy to get into a spot where I can justify, I can normalize all kinds of wrong behavior and all kinds of wrong thought patterns and become numb to it. So I have to have the courage to come before God and say, you know me better than I know myself. So would you do a searching inventory of my soul? Would you show me some areas in my life that need some attention? And I promise I'll follow after where you're taking me. The mark of a heart that looks intently. The mark of a humble heart is that you actually like to have God lead your life. You actually like to have God tell you what to do. Where you can come to the point where you can say, okay, God, I'm not going to argue with you anymore. I'm not going to defend my actions. I'm not going to act like I'm the exception to the rule. I'm going to trust you. Would you show me a better way to live? But James says, if that's all you do, if that's all that we do, we're still in danger of being deceived. And so he adds that that person, we need to continue to do this. How many in here like to start new things? They start projects. It's always a lot of fun, but the follow-up is: How about finishing things? That's where it gets really hard. I mean, I, I think it's human nature to enjoy the start of things. R- relationships when they first start off. I mean, there's nothing but butterflies and smiles and laughter. Everyone loves bringing a new puppy home, starting up a, a company or starting a new job. Everything's just new and exciting and fresh. But then at some point it starts to feel like old hat, right? The newness wears off. You, you have that first argument in the relationship and find out the other person isn't actually perfect. The, the puppy chews your shoes and then you realize, i got to walk this stupid animal for the rest of my life. The job turns into a grind and you just find yourself doing the same thing over and over again. When the newness wears off, then it becomes a lot like work. And that's what James is telling us. He's saying that this change that you want in your life, it's going to take time. It's going to take discipline. There's no quick fix to this. Once a life gets heading down the tracks, once a life gets momentum, you're not going to see a change on a hairpin turn. You don't make changes all at once. It's over a period of time where you begin to slowly but surely line your life up with what God says is true, and then over time you'll begin to see some lasting change. But you have to continue to do it. You have to keep at it. I love how Eugene Peterson describes it, because I think he accurately captures the essence of the Christian life when he says that it is a long obedience in the same direction. You have to keep at it. You have to push through. You have to persevere when the newness wears off. And you have to have this long view of your character formation because it just takes time to change. And then James adds, not forgetting what he has heard. And, and here's where the power of a few spiritual disciplines really come into play in the life of a believer. That's meditation, and journaling. And sometimes people have a misunderstanding of meditation. They, they tend to think you just put your mind in neutral, but that's not what is taught in Scripture about meditation. Meditation is simply taking a truth from God's Word and then rolling it over and over and over again in your mind. The Hebrew word for meditate can actually be translated as murmur. It's this idea that you continue to wrestle with what is taught. You continue to wrestle with With God's truth, long after you initially hear it, it's you. You hear something, and maybe at at dinner on Sunday or Monday, you think you you bring it up in conversation with your spouse and say, "Hey, I heard him say that on on Sunday, but I mean, I'm wrestling with that. I I don't know if I agree if that really works in my life or not. Or you you bring it to your home group and do a Bible study, and you say. How do you all apply this truth in your life? Because I really want to try to figure this thing out. But it's the idea that you continue to roll it over in your mind, to wrestle with it, so that you can actually come to some understanding of it. And the other part of not forgetting is journaling or or note-taking. You will forget about 90% of what I say here on a Sunday morning, probably before you get to the car. If all you do is hear something, it doesn't have the ability to really register within. That's why taking notes, writing something down in the margins of your Bible, something where you can write it down and come back to it. Because if you do that, then you greatly increase the likelihood of this settling down into a character-changing idea, and you can embrace it. Which brings us to the last action phrase that James uses, and that is doing it. Actually putting feet to your faith and doing something with what you just heard. So what does that look like? How can we train ourselves to apply what is taught to us in our everyday lives? I I think one of the ways that we can do that, Scripture teaches us, Jesus says in the great commandment, that we are to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And I think that actually gives a very easy grid for us to try to figure out how do we apply Scripture so that we grow in our love through our mind and through our thoughts and through our actions. So as we hear the Bible being taught or as we read something, you can ask these three questions every single time. So if if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. How does God want me to think differently? Do I need to change how I think about people? Do I need to change the way I think about money? Do I need to change the way I think about temptation? Are there some things that I need to change the way that I think? How does God want me to feel differently? But our emotions are a great reflection of what's going on in our hearts. If we find ourselves frustrated and angry and bitter, if we can follow those emotions back, we can begin to find some things that are going on inside of our heart that might need to be changed. And then lastly, how does God want me to act differently? How does this actually manifest itself in everyday life? When I get up tomorrow morning and I'm heading into work, how do, are there some things that actually need to change in the way that I behave and act? Anytime that the Bible is opened up, that's whether it's in your devotional time, it's in a Bible study or a small group or here on a Sunday morning, anytime that the Bible is opened up, you can ask these three questions and easily come up with an application for your life. So, for example, um, you you would read just the next couple of verses after this passage that we just ended, and and you will hear in here but also throughout Scripture that God places a huge emphasis, a huge weight on a a believer's life on caring for the disadvantaged, the marginalized, the, the widow, the orphan. And so you might ask the question, how can I think differently about that? I know I I was reading through the Psalms a few weeks ago, and I was confronted with this same idea of what comes to mind when I hear about and I see injustices in the world. And I was awakened to the truth in my life that I often just don't spend any time thinking about it. Um, I, I allow the comfort of my zip code to prevent me from giving any of my mind space to injustices in the, the poor and the people that are around me. and But having an attitude of, as long as it's not in my backyard, it doesn't really pertain to me, that doesn't align with God's command. So in some way, I have to find a way to think differently about what my role is in making right things that are wrong in this world, because that's what He calls me to do. And maybe to do that, you follow up with a question is How do I need to change the way that I feel? And simply asking the question, all right, God, how do you feel when you see this? How do you feel when you see the the downtrodden or the orphan or the widow? How do you feel? Because I want to feel the way that you do. And then you can ask the question, "Are, are there some decisions that you want me to make? Are there some actions that I can take? And then you look and you listen and see if there is a way for something to change in your life. Uh, right around Christmas time, there was a, a homeless guy that popped into the church a, a, on a couple of days, um, and I sat down with him one day, and I and I heard his faith story, a- and I heard about his physical journey. He started in North Dakota, and he was making his way across the country and trying to make his way over to Baltimore. And as he was telling me this, um, I mean, he's he's had a rough, rough life, and and I had this thought, and I think it was a thought from God, not just my own that said, Chad, this is a brother in Christ. This is a fellow human being who's in a place of need, and you are in a place of excess. And I felt the Lord whisper, help him get a room for the night. Get him out of the cold on Christmas Eve. Give him some food so he can get some warm food in his belly. And so I did. And I, I don't always get those whispers or those nudgings but I did that day and so I I followed through with what he said but can you see how these three questions can open up an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to do some incredible work in your life to create some change in your life and then James concludes the passage by saying that he will be blessed in what he hears that he will be blessed in what he studies that he'll be blessed in what he memorizes He doesn't, does he? He says that he will be blessed in what he does. That word blessed can also be translated as happy or or fortunate. James is saying that if you want to experience the blessing of God in your life, if you want God to actually show up in your life, if you want to find true happiness and peace and satisfaction in this life, then you actually have to put into practice what God says is good and true. The man or woman who is serious about changing, who is serious about their character and their life looking more and more like Jesus, they will embrace this discipline of coming here on a Sunday morning, coming anywhere on a Sunday morning ready to hear and leaving ready to apply what they hear and that's a discipline. It begins long before you come into a a building and hear the Word of God being taught, but you come with the attitude of saying, God, I want to hear from you. I I want your Word to be a mirror. I want to look and I want to see truth. I want to hear from you, and then I promise I will leave here ready to apply the truth that you want in my life. It's somebody who comes and they they understand that there are some things that need to be addressed, some things that that need to be realigned in their life so that maybe they they hear or they read what God's Word says about forgiveness. And they realize that they have forgiven a lot of people. But there's that one person, that one person that they refuse to forgive. And they get to a point where they say, I'm not going to make any more excuses. I'm not going to justify what I'm doing. God, you say that I should forgive because I've been forgiven And so they start taking those hard steps towards actually forgiving that person. Letting go of the bitterness and the right to get even. And God begins to do a healing work in their lives. And they will come to the conclusion, this is better. This is actually a better way to live. And I want to see what the next thing is that he wants to do in my life. And they come back and maybe they, they read about the power of Their words or sexual purity or empathy towards somebody who's struggling or letting go of worry or letting go of anxiety. And they read and they realign their lives, and that becomes the rhythm of their life. They continue to do this throughout their Christian life. You see that they're not just collecting information, they're not just gathering more and more knowledge, they're not just mere listeners, they're doers of the Word, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's hard, even when it's unpopular, even when no one else is doing it, even when there are some really hard consequences to doing what it says, they are doers of the Word. If you want to see real lasting change in your life, the best thing that you can do is for you and your family to get into a church where Scripture is opened up where it is taught clearly, where, where there are some applications made for you and you are inspired to go out and actually do it, to leave here on a Sunday morning and find a way where what's, what is taught actually comes to bear on the way that you do business, on the way that you raise your kids, on the way that you love your spouse. Wherever you find yourself, whatever church you end up calling home, you need to have in the rhythm of your family's life a, a time where you're setting aside and you're saying, I'm going to come ready to hear from God. And I'm going to leave ready to apply what he says. Because the change that you're looking for, the blessing that you're looking for, it's not in just hearing. It's not in just studying. It's not in the accumulation of more knowledge or information. The secret to change is to consistently dive in, to wrestle with what God says is right. And then, by the power of the Spirit stepping out and actually applying it to your life because it's application that makes all the difference. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that, you that you are a God that loves us so much that you don't just leave us to our own devices to try to make our way through this life, but you have given us An instruction manual on what you say is good what will lead to blessing and flourishing in our lives there is a right way to live and in your love you have revealed it to us and god now comes the hard part to actually treat it as a mirror for our lives god we know if we're honest with ourselves and it's just us in the room we have some areas in our lives that are broken. And maybe we don't even realize it. And that's why we need to pray that courageous prayer of, God, search me, show me, and lead me. God, help us to do that. And then give us the strength, give us the perseverance to actually do what you say. It's not always easy. But God, it does lead to a better life. So we pray for your direction, Spirit. We pray that you would continue to move in our lives to heal what is broken. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace that allows us to do this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for coming out, everybody. If you are looking to get in a group or maybe you have some questions about that, Blair and a couple guys will be out in the Next Steps room right out in the lobby. Otherwise, we will see you back here next Sunday.